So we are in this sermon series about building foundations regarding all of these hot topics that are going on in the world around us. As we think about what's going on in the world around us, I wanted to put some verses in front of you, just speak them over you as we get started this morning. Remember Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not, lest you be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use for others, it's going to be measured to you. So why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye and not notice the big log that's sticking out of your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all along there's a huge log sticking out of your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. As we come this morning to think about topics like marriage and divorce and homosexuality, it's easy to look out and think about the speck that's in somebody else's eye and not consider the log that's in our own eye. And as we come to these topics about homosexuality and, and next week talking about gender, it's easy in those topics to see them, and that may be the very thing you just can't stand about church or Christianity. You're like, I just can't stand what they say about marriage and gender and people in the world. Or you might have the personality where you hear topics about marriage and gender, and you say, yeah, go get them, preacher. Go get them. You know, go get those people. Before you say those people, let's make sure we're ready to look at our own hearts. Let's make sure we are considering what God's doing in our lives. No matter your background, no matter your particular biases about these things, what we want to consider is what does God's word say to us. What we want to consider is what is the hope of the gospel. And I'll just be up front with you about these next two weeks. And, and really they're tied together as one week, but I already have a bad habit of putting too much information in the sermon, so we split them into two weeks. But as we think about these next two weeks, Adamaeus, hear me clearly that we want to hold fast to the word of God, to the truth of God's word. And so the conclusions we're gonna draw about marriage and gender, they're not gonna surprise anybody. I, they're probably gonna be what you would imagine we would say. We're gonna hold fast to the truth of God's word, but how we say those things matters. And we are gonna speak with love and respect and honor toward people who've been made in the image of God. And so if you're not familiar with Emmaus, you haven't been here much, our hope as a church is that at the same time, we can hold on to the word of God and we can speak about people in a loving and respectful way. And that's what we're gonna attempt to do this morning. So as we think about marriage and divorce and homosexuality this morning, and next week we think about gender and sexuality and transgenderism, as we think about those things, where do we begin? How about Genesis chapter one? <laughs> How about Genesis chapter one? That's where we've begun almost every week in the study, and, and we're gonna start there. How did God create us? Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, mankind, humankind, in the image of God, every person. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. From the very beginning, we see God's design is to create humanity in his image, to know and love and worship him. And through his creation, 
He brought diversity, male and female. And from that diversity, he will bring unity. So when you think about God's creation, you think about marriage and gender, it's unity leading to diversity, leading back to unity. That's the picture of scripture. You go further, chapter two, Genesis chapter two, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. My, uh, time out. My wife and kids are with the youth at Falls Creek. Um, this morning, me trying to get my youngest ready. It is not good that man should be alone. Uh, I just brought the hair products with me and gave them to the first person that I found when I got here, so uh, that, was my, that was my strategy this morning. It's not good that man should be alone on Sunday morning getting ready. Um, I will make a helper fit for him. Now that word helper has been abused a bit through the years when people have done Bible interpretation on this passage. If we're not careful, we hear helper and even if we don't mean to, we lower that value, we lower that role just a little bit. So here's man and here's his helper. That is absolutely not what this Hebrew word communicates. This word, if we were making up an English word for it, we, may, we might say his counterpartner. Uh, so it's the counterpart to him, but it's his partner at the same level. The key thing is if you're going to devalue woman, if you're going to devalue females here as, as helper, this word throughout the Old Testament is used of God himself to come in and to provide support and help and deliverance for Israel. And so if it's a subservient helper, you're saying that about God himself and the role he plays with Israel, and that's absolutely not the case. Helper here is, you know, Owen attempts to fix something and makes it worse, and so he calls his counterpartner, and she comes in and delivers him and fixes it. It, it kind of functions like that. It's this idea of God has provided a partner, a counterpart, someone to come in and be a support and an encouragement for one another. Go further. Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. A picture here of peace and harmony and love that God has designed, unity leading to diversity of male and female, coming again to unity with this gift of marriage. And they lived happily ever after. Except we know every week that never works out. We always get to Genesis chapter three, right? What happens in Genesis chapter three? We get to verse six, and it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was the delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing at this point, gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. What leads to this situation in, in verse six of Genesis three. It's that Satan is providing these lies before Eve saying, God's plan for you is not good. Don't, don't trust his word. You don't know, he's actually holding out on you. Part of the temptation when it comes to marriage in our world today is we feel like God's design for marriage is not good. 
that somehow he's messed it up. And so people have come along and we have all these other ideas that have come in about marriage. The Christian life is about coming back to the word of God and saying, God, I trust your plan. I trust that you are good. I trust that you are wise, that what you have laid out for us is the path of life. And when we seek that out, when we desire something, when we take something for ourselves that's not according to the wisdom of God, it always leads to to death and destruction. What do you find through the rest of the Old Testament? Obviously, we can't do a full Old Testament survey of, of marriage, but what do you find in the Old Testament? When you get in the Old Testament, what you find is what you find throughout so much of the Bible. The Bible is so realistic. It it gives these really positive, beautiful pictures, and then it shows how dark and messed up humanity can be at the same time. And and frankly, that's one of the things I've always been drawn to the Bible. One of the reasons I've been drawn to the Bible is because of how realistic it is. You see the, the joy of marriage with procreation and pleasure You see how marriage becomes a picture between God and Israel, God and his people, so that when God's people in the Old Testament go away from him, it's not only called idolatry, it's also called adultery, that they have gone away from their God. And you don't have to read very far in the Old Testament to see how deadly and destructive the results are when we don't follow God's plan for marriage and sexuality. You read throughout the Old Testament, and there are some difficult, difficult stories when people go against God's design for marriage and sexuality. And so with that in mind, let's remember the gospel picture. Kids, I know most of you have the three circles memorized. You guys draw it out regularly. Remember, though, this message of the gospel. We have God's design, and God's design is good. It leads to life. It's how he has created us to live. When we go away from God's design, that's called sin. And sin always leads to brokenness. And some of the most painful brokenness that comes from sin is the brokenness that happens in marriages and families, brokenness related to sexuality. And we have all of our ideas about how we can fix that brokenness, but the only hope to overcome that brokenness is what? It's Jesus. It's the cross. It's what he has done for us, and he is able to lead us back to God's design for marriage and family and sexuality. So what about Jesus? What about the New Testament? When he comes to show the path of salvation, the path of life, what does that look like? It's so fascinating. Jesus, the one who will rescue us from sin, who will heal the brokenness of marriages, himself is never married. He comes affirming marriage, as we're going to talk about today, upholding marriage, but he himself is never married. He himself never engaged sexually. And and so if any person was to ever say, in order to be a full human, in order to live a full life, I need to be married or I need to have sex, just stop right there. Jesus is the perfect example. The most fully human person ever and yet he was never involved in marriage or sexuality. He gave him his life fully to God. He showed a picture of what the gospel looks like. And marriage itself becomes a picture of Christ's relationship with the church, how he has given his life for the church, and the church is lovingly devoted to Christ, and yet the church is still broken, right? We know that being a part of the church, we're not immune from sexual sin and temptation. Being a part of the church, we're not immune 
from broken marriages and families. And so God's word is constantly healing and guiding us and directing us back to Christ. And the New Testament itself will end with a picture of marriage. That as Christ returns, as he comes for his church, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's, it's the new Jerusalem coming down as if a bride prepared for the groom. It's this picture of marriage at the end of the Bible. Think about marriage. Think about marriage across the Bible. So let's just take a beginning to end sweep of the Bible and think about how marriage works. In the beginning of the Bible, marriage is commanded that we are going to be fruitful and multiply, that God is bringing men and women together, that, that marriage is commanded. Throughout the Old Testament, you find marriage is the pattern. It, it's the common pattern that you see throughout the Old Testament as the people of God are developing. When you get to the New Testament, though, marriage is still permitted, and, and we could even say it's encouraged, but Jesus begins to refocus our ideas about marriage and family. Jesus says, if you really want to know who your brothers and sisters are, look around at those who are doing the will of God. He is helping us think differently about family. This morning, as we had our church membership class, one of the great gifts about being a church is we call it a church family. From the time that I was a really little kid, I love that phrase, church family, that God brings us together as the people of God to be family. And as the Bible goes to the end, marriage will be no more. Marriage will be fulfilled. So at the beginning of the Bible, you have a picture of marriage where marriage is commanded. At the end of the Bible, you see the picture of marriage fulfilled so that in the resurrection, in the new creation, we will neither be married nor given in marriage. That this is God's picture for marriage across Scripture. So what I want us to do this morning with that ideal, with that idea of marriage in front of you, I want to take you to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to study Mark chapter 10 with that Bible foundation, with that Bible background. We're going to study Mark chapter 10 and ask, what about marriage? What about divorce? What about homosexuality? How do we approach these things as the people of God? So back to Mark Hopefully your Bible, after all these weeks, still falls open to Mark. Um, Mark chapter 10. Let's get started there. Verse 1. It says there that he left, Jesus left, and, and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. There's our old friends, the crowds. We haven't seen them in a while. They're the ones around Jesus. You don't know if they're going to follow Jesus or not, but the crowds are back. Verse 2, the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, key phrase there, they've come up to test Jesus. So we know when the Pharisees, when the religious leaders are coming, they're not just asking a straightforward question. There's something going on behind this question. And we know that at this time, in the background, culturally, historically, the things that are going on in the background is John the Baptist, he's recently lost his head because he spoke out against the divorce that Herod Antipas has. So the Pharisees are coming to Jesus and they're saying, remember what happened to your cousin when he spoke about marriage and divorce? Uh, what do you have to say about it? Also, in the background, there are two schools of thought among the religious leaders 
about what you could get divorced over, like what counted as a permissible divorce. They're, they're drawing from Deuteronomy 24 here, and we'll, get, we'll talk about that some more in a second, but they're drawing from Deuteronomy 24 where Moses allowed that on the, on the, in case of indecency, a man could divorce his wife. And there were two schools of thought about what counted as indecency. One of the group of religious leaders said that if your wife commit, commits adultery, sexual immorality, then you can divorce her. There was another school that said if your wife burnt dinner, that was indecent and you could divorce her, okay? So think about the, the distinction between these two and, and, and do not apply that at home. This is, a, this is the background discussion, okay, for the passage. This is not the go home and do it portion. Um, so there were two different schools of thought about divorce. So the Pharisees are coming here and they are asking Jesus, do you think it is permissible, is it allowed for a man to divorce his wife? Verse three, he answered, what did Moses command you? Notice in the New Testament, almost every time Jesus is asked a question, what does he do? He asks a question back. He's, gonna, he's like, I'm not gonna get trapped. I, I know what you're doing here. So he's gonna ask a question in return. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to push them back to the scriptures. Don't miss this, okay? They're having a cultural argument, and Jesus says, in order to understand that argument, we need to go back to the word of God. So he's gonna push them behind this cultural argument back to scripture, back to Moses. What did Moses say to you? Well, they said in verse four, they're gonna, they're gonna pull from Deuteronomy 24, they said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So if there was a charge of indecency against a man's wife, he could write her a certificate of, of divorce, break off the marriage, she could go and remarry, and he also could go and remarry. Now Deuteronomy 24 also says that according to God's law, we don't play musical chairs with marriage. So a man couldn't divorce his wife she goes off and marries somebody else. That marriage doesn't work out. He can't come in and marry her a second time. Like marriage is not this thing that just because the marriage lost its luster, you can do away with her, and then you found out the grass really wasn't greener on the other side, and you want her back. God says, no, we're not, we're not playing that game. That's, that's not how this works. And so Jesus is picking up this idea from Deuteronomy 24, and, and the Pharisees say, well, Moses said it was okay to give a certificate of divorce. Verse 5. Jesus said, yeah, knuckleheads, it was because of your hardness of heart that he wrote you this commandment. In other words, the reason Moses gave this commandment allowing for divorce is not because he wanted you to go out and pursue divorce. It was because he knew that our hearts grow hard. There are all kinds of reasons that lie behind divorce. But God's word is saying at the foundation of those reasons is our heart grows hard. Our heart grows hard toward the Lord, and our heart grows hard toward the other person. And because of our hardness of heart, Moses allowed for divorce. It doesn't mean it's a requirement. It doesn't mean it's a divine demand. It's given because of the hardness of heart of people. But watch what Jesus does in verse 6. This is so crucial. But from the beginning of creation, what's he doing? He's going back even before Moses, the, the laws of Moses, he's going back and he's gonna build a foundation. 
the Pharisees are building fences around divorce laws, Jesus is building a foundation. And he says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, what's the vision? What's the picture? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, this gift of marriage, let not man separate. Verse 10, in the house, the disciples, there's the disciples again, the disciples, they're still a little bit confused. They asked him again about this matter. And he said to them in verse 11, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Okay, <laughs> file those verses in the three ring binder that's called hard sayings of Jesus because there is no getting around the fact that this is a really hard verse. And, and, and in case you missed it, let me read them again, okay? Verses 11 and 12. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Ooh, what do you do? What do you do with this? Now, I want, I want you to know up front, there are different schools of thought among good, Bible-believing, solid gospel people on this. There are certain pastors and, and authors and teachers who will say this verse right here completely eliminates any remarriage after divorce. They take a very hard-line stand on this. Divorce, no remarriage, and they'll point right here to, to this verse. And I would tell you, we need to feel the force of these verses. We, it's no good just to say, well, that was a hard saying of Jesus. I'm just going to look away from that. that. That is not the way to go. However, I don't think that's the only way you have to interpret these verses because oftentimes, Jesus will say incredibly radical things at the end of teaching to get our attention, to draw us back to him, to show us a new way forward. And so, I don't think automatically remarriage is not allowed in, in the kingdom of God. I think there, there are pathways, but we need, to, we need to feel the force of Jesus' words right here that he's not interested in talking about divorce, he's interested in building up marriages. That's where his focus is. His focus is back to the beginning, to what is God's design for marriage and family. So we take these verses, and we combine them with very similar verses in Matthew chapter 19, and we combine them with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and you start to see some areas in the New Testament where divorce might be permissible. And, and might lead to situations of remarriage. Pastorally, we'll talk about the three A's of divorce. The three A's of divorce, that if you look across the New Testament, these are situations where divorce seems to be permissible and can lead to a time of remarriage. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Those are the, again, it's, it's kind of a preacher layout with three A's, but generally in pastoral counseling, those are three things we'll talk about that can lead to a marriage being broken and, and an open door for moving ahead with remarriage. Now, even in those situations of adultery, abandonment, and abuse, the goal is pushing toward reconciliation and, and repentance. That, that we wanna make sure that our heart is soft toward God and toward others. 
and that we're seeking out wise counsel when these things happen. And let me just say, before we move to the next slide and talk about marriage some more, hear me clearly, because churches have not always done this well. If you are in a situation where you are facing abuse at home, reach out for help. Reach out for help. Find someone around you that you trust. Reach out to us for help. There have been times that people have been under situations of abuse and they've been told, no, you just need to stay there and, and deal with it, that that's what God wants you to do, friend, we will get you to safety. We will get you help, okay? If you know someone who's being abused, if, if it's happening to you, reach out for help. We'll go through this process of reconciliation. We'll go through this process of healing, but you do not have to stay in that situation. There, there's hope. There's healing that comes through the gospel, so reach out for help. What do we want to focus on? Well, first, let's do this really well. Let's affirm and strengthen marriage. Like if we can get this part right, if we can focus on what Jesus wants us to focus on, that's gonna get us going down the right path. So at, at Emmaus, we wanna do everything we can to affirm and uphold and strengthen marriages. I appreciate people at Emmaus who are single and they say, God's called me to this, this is a season of life, maybe this is a lifetime calling, I'm single. I'm gonna make sure I'm cheerleading marriages. I'm gonna make sure I'm upholding and affirming marriages, and I appreciate that so much about, about people at Emmaus. Let's be a church that strengthens marriages. And if your marriage is not in a good place, if your marriage is not in a good place, reach out quickly for help. Uh, one of the things that happens is, is people will reach out to us for, for help with their marriage, and it's one of those things, we're gonna respond, but if we could have responded five years before, or 10 years before, or 20 years before, there, there are things that can, can be done. Sometimes we grow numb to problems in marriage, or we start to normalize it, like everybody's marriage feels like this, or this is just normal, this is what it should be. Reach out for help. Seek people around you. You can provide wise counsel and wisdom and, and encouragement to you. As a church, this week, we're asking every member of Emmaus to write an encouraging letter to somebody else. So your job this week, your one job this week is that you would write an encouraging letter to somebody else. If you don't know where to start, write an encouraging letter to another couple and just say, I see you, I care for you, I'm praying for you, I'm here for you. Here's another idea, and I know this would be a little bit harder, but let me throw this out there. If your marriage is not in a great spot right now, and, and you're really hurting, but you're like, I, I wanna make this happen, we're in this. Your encouraging letter this week, why don't you write it to your spouse? Just write out. Sometimes we can say things in written form that's harder to say in spoken form, and maybe what God is calling you to do this week is just write a letter to your spouse and say, I know things have been hard, but I wanna make this happen. I love you, I care for you, let's, let's move, move, move ahead together, whatever that looks like. We have a chance to affirm and strengthen marriages. What do you do when you face divorce? What do you do when, when that time comes? How do, you, how do you move through that? Well, we mourn. We absolutely mourn. It doesn't matter the circumstances of a divorce. There's still pain there. There's still brokenness there. There's still hurt. We need the comfort that Christ provides. We need the comfort that comes from church and from friends around us. We need to be able to find healing through the gospel and then, personal study of God's word, wise counsel, spiritual wisdom, 
There's a path forward, I really do believe, toward remarriage, but let's feel the weight of Jesus' words. Let's, let's feel the weight of Jesus' teaching. Find that healing that comes through the gospel and then let him move you ahead. Now you might say, okay, Owen, that's, that's good, we need to hear that. I thought we were gonna talk about homosexuality this morning. <laughs> like you, you're almost out of time. Like what, what happened? You, th- this was the topic I came for. I came to hear about homosexuality, not, not marriage and divorce. We as a church, before we need to begin talking very much about homosexuality, we've got to have an internal conversation about marriage and divorce. Because I have pretty strong beliefs about this, that the way church throughout the past few decades has approached marriage, the prevalence of divorce, our inability to cast a godly vision for the single life, I think a lot of that has opened up the door for what we see now with same-sex marriage and homosexuality. That we haven't dealt with our own house. We haven't allowed judgment to begin with the house of God. And our approach to marriage and divorce and singleness has got us into a situation as the church where we don't have a lot to say about homosexuality because of some of the things we've done. Now, I do believe God's word has a lot to say about the topic, and we're going to look at that. But the reason we've spent so much time on marriage and divorce so far is because that has to be the foundation for how we talk about the next part. Okay, so what do we say about homosexuality, same-sex marriage? How do we respond to this? Here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you some slogans that your friends, family members, maybe you're here this morning and you're in a homosexual relationship, you wanna be in a homosexual relationship. These are are slogans that are used to support same-sex relationships And then how can we respond? So let's talk through some of these slogans. Slogan number one that people will say is Jesus never said anything condemning homosexuality. With every one of these slogans we're gonna look at this morning, I'm gonna say yes, but there's there's something else beyond that. Yes, in, in a sense that is true. But Jesus reaffirmed, re intensified God's original design for marriage. So we might be able to look and say, yeah, Jesus didn't say anything directly against homosexuality, but he absolutely drew a line in the sand about this is God's good design for marriage. He reaffirmed that, and that provides the framework for how we think about all kinds of relationships in the world. And Jesus fulfilled the law. He's not coming along making up new rules, new laws for sexuality and marriage. He is fulfilling the law of God and he's laying down, this is what it looks like to understand marriage. So if someone says, Jesus didn't condemn, didn't speak against homosexuality, take them to Matthew 19. Take them to Mark chapter 10. What did Jesus say about marriage? Well, he pointed back to the very beginning where God designed marriage between one man, one woman for a lifetime. Second slogan, might see this one on a bumper sticker from time to time, or on a shirt. Don't be the religious person that critiques somebody's bumper sticker, okay? We're just, we're trying to, don't be the religious person with a weird bumper sticker, but don't also critique somebody else's bumper sticker. Um, But this is the slogans you hear. Love is love. Like, who are you to say that person can't love that person? Let's be really clear. There are beautiful, godly, wonderful forms of love that are not sexual and not marital in nature. You can absolutely love deeply someone of the same gender, but that doesn't mean that that love always manifests itself in sexuality 
or marriage. If someone says, yeah, but love is love, I'm standing up agreeing with them. Yes, love is a beautiful gift given to us by God, but it doesn't mean that that love always leads to sexuality and marriage. Love is love. How do we know love? What is love? Well, God is love. And the way we receive God's love is we receive his son who was given for us and we receive his commandments given to us in his word. So love is love. Yeah, same-sex love is a beautiful thing. Friendships, deep friendships of the same gender, same sex. As the church, we should be saying of cheering for that. But we also believe that there are boundaries around marriage that have been given by God for his purposes. Number three. Number three is hard. Someone will say, well, yeah, but the church was wrong about slavery and civil rights before, so does the church really need to be talking about homosexuality and gender questions? It's a good point. It's a, it's a, it's a really good point. To this question, I would point you to the best recent book I've read on this topic. And it, it's, it's short, so it makes it, a great, it makes it a good book. If you have questions about topics like this going on in the world, Rebecca McLaughlin has written a book called The Secular Creed. The cover of the book is going to look like it promotes the opposite of what you think the book is going to be about, okay? So don't be turned away by the cover of the book or by the title of the book. She does a really, really powerful job lovingly responding to some of these slogans and some of these issues in our world. Um, I don't know if it's still free, but on the Gospel Coalition website, within the last week, you could download it for free. It's cheap. If you don't have the money to buy a hard copy book and you want one, let me know and I'll buy it for you. Uh, but what she points out is both scripture and science show that issues of race and issues of sexuality and gender are not the same thing. And the recent attempt to, let's be careful with words here, intertangle civil rights issues and, and uh, gender and marriage issues have caused a lot of confusion in the world and frankly haven't done well for people on either side of, of the issue. And so we want to say that scripture consistently points to one particular uh, picture of marriage and it's found in Genesis and the, the direction of marriage throughout scripture says that foundation remains the same. Now you look at the Bible, the direction of the Bible from beginning to end points absolutely to the beauty of, of racial diversity points away from slavery in every imaginable way. So the direction of the Bible on these two topics goes in different directions. Remember in scripture, homosexuality is always, always, always set alongside other sins. When you read the Bible and you find sins of homosexuality mentioned, always set alongside other sins. Let me read for you just a couple of verses. They'll be up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is probably the most common area for this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then one of the greatest verses in the New Testament Mark it down, put it in your phone, highlight it, underline it. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Such were some of you, or 
Such were some of you. Like, let's point the fingers at, at all of us. Such were us, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The answer this morning to divorce, to lust, to pornography, to lying, to stealing, to homosexuality, to you name it, the answer to all of those things is Jesus. That he has taken our sin, he's taken our shame, he's taken our fear, he's taken our brokenness upon himself, and he has died for us in our place so that we can be washed, so that we can be made clean, so that we can be made right with God and have life eternal. The way to address these things it's not to yell or scream or point fingers. It's to point people to Jesus. That through him we find hope. Through him we find salvation. No matter what your sin, no matter what your past, no matter what your brokenness is, there is hope, friend, through Jesus that you would turn to him and trust in him and find salvation. And so what are we gonna do as the people of God? We're gonna listen to people and respect them. You can love people and disagree with decisions. Many of you have come to me and you have family members who you disagree with on these questions. You've had to deal with questions like, do I go to that wedding? Do I go to that party? Do, how do I interact with this person? You're working through these questions. And if you're here this morning and think you're the only one working through these questions, let me just say you're not. <laughs> there are so many people in this room right now that would want to talk with you, encourage you through those questions. But in those moments, you can say, I value this person. I love this person, I care for this person, I disagree with what they're doing, I wanna to listen to them, I wanna point them to Jesus, that we are going to proclaim and display Jesus. Why? Because that person you are talking to, who you disagree with their lifestyle, you disagree with their marriage, you disagree with their divorce, that person you're talking to, the same Jesus they need is the same Jesus you need. Every one of us stands in need of the hope and salvation and forgiveness of Jesus. So we're gonna affirm marriage and we're gonna point people to the one who saves. And the way we're gonna do that at the end of our service today is I just wanna give you a few minutes to pray. We're not gonna have a final song. If you have questions about faith, if you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, we're gonna stay right down here at the, at the front after the service. You're gonna have a chance to respond. During this prayer time, there are gonna be people around the room if you need to go to someone for prayer, there's gonna be people standing around the room that you can go to for prayer. You can come here to the front. Let me encourage you to do something as well. During this time of prayer, pray with your family. If your spouse is here, pray with your spouse. If you have people in your life who their marriage is hurting, they're going through difficult times, this is your time to pray. The best thing we can do at the end of our time this morning is call out to God, God, I need help in my marriage, I need help with my family. I pray that you would care for my friend who's going through a hard situation. Give me wisdom in talking to my family member that I disagree with on this topic, but I want to point them to Jesus. Whatever that looks like, you're going to have a couple of minutes just to spend in quiet, just to spend in prayer. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your family. I'll leave the screen up behind me during this prayer time. Let me pray for you right now. To bow your heads, close your eyes. Let me pray for you. And then after I finish this prayer, you're gonna have two or three minutes just to go to people around this room, pray right where you are, however the Lord leads you. Father, these are hard issues. Um, 
we live in a world today where there might have been a time in the past that we thought about issues like this and we really didn't know anybody who was affected or it didn't affect us, but we know that is long gone. Um, God, we live in a world where marriages are hurting so badly. Families in the room right now, God, who, who are hurting, not, not sure if the marriage will make it, maybe coming just on the other side of divorce and trying to figure out a path forward. God, for people here today or listening at home who are struggling with temptations toward homosexual lifestyles and marriages and, and trying so hard to justify those but at the same time fight back against that and just really feel confused, God, would your grace and your word bring peace to their lives? God, for those in our church family who are single, who want to be a champion for marriage while at the same time they're trying to seek your will for their life, God, guide them. God, over the next few minutes, would you bring husbands and wives together to pray for one another? Would you let parents pray over their kids? God, would you call people to stand up and to walk to one of these people in the room and just ask for prayer about something that's going on in their life, God? Guide us in the next few minutes. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Emmaus, you've got two or three minutes. Move around the room. Pray with people around you. There's going to be some music playing in the background. I'll be here at the front. There's people moving to different areas around the room who want to pray with you. Let's use this as a time of worship. If your need of prayer has nothing to do with marriage, you just need prayer for something going on in your life. We want to be able to pray for you. Physical sickness, challenge at work, let's pray for you in whatever that looks like.
Father, thank you for the time of worship. God, I pray for the people that are continuing to pray. God, that we will continue to be open to the movement of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the marriages and families in this room. Thank you for the gift of a church family. God, how you bring our lives together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, send us out from this place to be able to speak to others about the good news of Jesus and, and to display his love through our lives and our families and through our church. God, go with us from this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 